Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Well, I've got a word for you today. Marsha and I, uh, before we get started, we had off, we took off a few weeks ago. My niece was getting married. So we went to Wyoming, and we stayed out there for a week out in Jackson Hole and went to Yellowstone and a couple of times, and then we went to see the Grand Tetons, and everything was a great trip and had a lot of fun. And uh, I want to share a little story with you that took place while we were out there uh, to kind of set the mood for what's going on. And uh, they were at the venue there at the wedding where they was going to take place and all that, and Marsha was over there. And uh, the groom uh, was, was there, and he was kind of walking by, and not kind of, he was walking by. And one of the people that worked there says, are you having a good day? And his response to him was, any day that people aren't shooting at you is a good day. I'll say that again. Any day that people aren't shooting at you, it's a good day. Now, I don't know, what would you call him, a nephew-in-law? So my nephew-in-law, he is a member of an elite team where they basically, I won't go into a lot of stuff, what he does, I don't want to do that, but I don't even know if I, I probably know more about what he does than I should. But uh, he flies in different places throughout the world. Uh, he's in the, uh, one of the branches of service, I won't even bother to tell you that. But anyhow, they fly him in in helicopters. And he's one of them that kind of sets the whole thing up, and they go in and takes the troops in, drops them off to do whatever it is that they're doing that nobody knows about. And he has the privilege of being able to come back and pick them up. And so sometimes it's not very friendly, either coming in or going out. So his perspective in life, when asked, are you having a good day, was easy, any day that people aren't shooting at me, is a good day. And I thought, how, how different is that from our day? How different is that? I mean, I've seen women who break a nail, and it determines their entire day. Guys who go out there and try to crank their vehicle, and the battery's dead, and their whole day is ruined. Can you imagine trying to explain to him why your day is all messed up? I don't think that he would really care. I think he would just look at you and think, so I go out there, risk my life for you to complain about your battery in your truck. He probably wouldn't do that because this is the kind of character he is. He's just that kind of a young man. He's, he's, he's sharp. But he's got his perspectives right. He understands this is my mission. This is what I do. And I do it well and I'm coming home to my family. Amen? And, and hearing his reply to this, it caused me to wonder, how are we perceiving everyday life? How is it that we perceive everyday life? And so if this morning I want to ask you to join me as we uh, are disconnecting from this world and this world's, uh, all the things that's going on, just for a little while this morning to hear what Holy Spirit would speak 
to each and every one of us. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit wants to give us a new set of lenses to see through, a new perspective into the days that we're living. So, Lord, as we position ourselves this morning to hear your word, open our eyes to be able to see in a manner that we've not seen before, that we want to, Lord, see as you see things so that our lives will be full of purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you know that every single one of us here today has faced or will face defining moments in your life? It's just going to happen. Uh, most of us have already faced some defining moments, but for you young people, those moments are coming. And you know what? No matter what you think, it's not going to change it. Those moments will come because defining moments will come. And uh, let me just go ahead and explain to you what a defining moment is as far as my context is. It would be like a crossroads that you're, you're, or an intersection that you're approaching. You're going through life, you're going down the road, and you come to an intersection and you've got to make a choice now. Am I going to stop? Am I going to continue going straight? Am I going to turn to the right or am I going to turn to the left? And knowing that any of these things that you do, whether you stay still and never go again, or whether you continue going straight, right, or to the left, is going to define where you're going to be in the next season of life. It's going to define it. And so it's a defining moment. And most of these defining moments that we face really go unnoticed. We don't even pay attention to them. For the most part, there'll be one, one defining moment in your life that will actually do what it says, and that is it will define you. It will define uh, whether your life is good or bad or, or to the next defining moment, and it will also define your character. It will define uh, your future as well. But these defining moments, they're here every day, and these defining moments are life-altering life-altering. You can make that move to the right or to the left, and it will define what your life is going to be down the road just a little bit. And we're faced with this every single day, yet we get up in the morning, we get dressed, we go do our job, we go do whatever, and we don't even realize it, that the mo during the day, there's moments, there's thoughts, there's things that come up, and it's defining where we will be six weeks, six months, six years down the road. It defines what our children will be going through. It defines how we relate to other people. It defines who we are until the next defining moment. You know, everybody faces these moments, and sometimes they're not convenient. Sometimes they're just simple and easy. But you will face them, and they will define your future. I, I remember well having uh, my first really big major defining moment in my life, I think I was 17, and uh, I went to practice that afternoon. And my life, as far as I was concerned at that time, was already kind of laid out. Uh, I knew I was going to go to college. I knew pretty much which one I wanted to go to, and it was going to be with a wrestling scholarship, side forward, da 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 da. And I broke my arm that day. And guess what happened? That was all gone. A pin was replaced in my elbow with about 17 steel stitches and all that kind of stuff. And that was a life-defining moment in my life. It, it changed the course of where I was going and what I was going to do. 
Scholarship's gone. But not only that, that night when I was laying up in the hospital, there was a young lady who came to visit me, and, and she brought a friend with her. And uh, I was happy to see the young lady. I just wasn't really happy to see her friend because I wanted just to see her. You know, I was like, hey, didn't know the friend that she brought with her. I did marry the friend, <laughs> but I didn't realize that's what was going to happen. And she got in there, and she was looking around at oxygen things and turning and twisting. I'm like, would you please just leave? Where did this? And I was trying to be nice because his arm was all up this way. I'm like, where would you get this woman, you know? Where would she come from? She has defined my life. And that was a defining moment for sure. And uh, it's been good, you know, and we rocked along, ended up dating and, and uh, getting married and so forth. And then on November 27th, 1979, was another defining moment in my life as a person who was not living uh, a righteous life by no means, uh, a life of sin, uh, really messed up in every area that you can imagine. And... The Lord came in that room that night in Greenville, Alabama. That was a life-defining moment. That's the night that I said yes to Jesus, make, get through it quickly, and uh, made a determination that night. That I was determined that I'll spend the rest of my life seeking after this God that loved me that much that came in that room. That's been quite some time, and it's been quite a trip. There again, in another life-defining moment, was going into the ministry in, in 1984, into the full-time ministry. Changed my life. I was happy with where I was at and what I was doing. Thought everything was great. I was seeking God with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my being. Thrilled just not to be going to hell. Amen? That's a good place. Uh, as a young person, I never even thought about it. But after living the way I did for such a long time, I knew what it meant to be free, to be free, and it was great. By the way, good morning, Will. It's good to see you this morning. Got that Marine uniform on. Mm, looking sharp. Glory to God. Yeah, that was a defining moment for his life, my life, everybody's life. You know Will. Glory to God. I mean that in a bad way, Will. I mean that in a good way. Man, he's, he's sharp. Anyway, back to this. Defining moments. There were many other little defining moments along the way, but then there's those big ones. But you realize that if you're not cautious, uh, you can miss the little ones, which will determine whether you'll hit the big ones or not. It's those little foxes that spoil the vine. It's those little moments in life, the way you, you carry yourself, the attitude that you have when you get up all, all, or carry through the day. It's all those things will determine whether or not you're going to really understand the large defining moments in your life. And uh, that's what I want to talk a little bit about this morning and share with you. I think the Lord wants us to realize that we've been going through quite a bit as a country, as a world, really, for the last several years, and if we're not careful, we'll see things through the perspective of I got a broken nail or my battery won't start instead of seeing the bigger picture of it's a good day when you don't have people shoot at you. Huh? Changes the perspective. 
What we really need to know and have is God's perspective on daily living and not man's perspective on daily living. Because if we can grab a hold of what God says about daily living, we're going to come out great. We'll be able to finish our, uh, our course, run it greatly, uh, hear those great words one day, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter on into the joy of the Lord. That's what I want to do. I want to hear those words, and I'm going to hear. Amen? How about you? You see, defining moments have to do whether or not that you're going to obey God's voice or you're going to follow after the flesh. And I'm going to stop now and say this to you, that we're living in such a day that Satan's number one tool to destroy or to oppose God's plan is distractions. Distractions. If he can get you distracted to start looking at the weather or the stock market or a pandemic or whatever it may be, the workplace or the lady who you can't get along with at work or whatever it may be, if he can get your attention on them, then it's not on God. And if it's not on God, you're not hearing God. You're hearing all the trouble and the woe is me stuff. And you're going to miss your defining moment. A moment that could change the course of your life and your children and their life. And that's what the, Satan wants to do. And throughout all these things, you know, there's... The big defining moments we read in the Bible about things like David and Goliath. How many of you know that was a pretty defined moment in life, for the, especially for the nation of Israel? Noah and the ark, that's a pretty defining moment. Moses leading the children of Israel out of Egypt, that's a defining moment. So there's these defining moments. Joshua at Jericho, that's a defining moment. The walls just come tumbling down. How about the statement that Joshua made? towards the end of his life, it was a defining moment for all of us that's sitting here in this room. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Y'all can go do what y'all want to do, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's a defining moment. Have you made that decision? Have you made that defining moment in your life? Because it is important to do so. Then there's those Defining moments that we read in the Bible, but we don't really see the emphasis or the importance like we would with David and Goliath. We see the big picture with David and Goliath. We see the big picture with Moses delivering God's people out of Egypt. But what about the little moments, the little things that we sometimes overlook? If you've got your Bibles with you this morning, I hope you do. Just checking my time. Uh, I told Peter that you might get out early, but then again, I probably just lied to him. But... Uh, so don't hold me to any of that. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 7, verses 36. We'll start in verse 36. Luke 7, 36. It says, And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him, speaking about Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, which she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment and stood at his feet behind him, uh, weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisees, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, 
this man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touched him, for she's a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he said, Master, say all. He said, there was a certain creditor which had two debt, debtors. The one owed 500 pence and the other, other 50. And when they had neither one anything to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to this woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? Because he hadn't really paid much attention other than the fact that she's a sinner. I entered into thy house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman since the time I came in hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head, which thou, my head uh, with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto her, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, thy sins be forgiven. That's a pretty defining moment for this lady. Woman knew where she was at. She knew what was going on, but you know what? Simon didn't. Simon didn't recognize that he had a defining moment looking him right in the face, but this lady did. And this lady's salvation, her sins were forgiven. Every, the most important things in her life, she spared nothing. She wasn't concerned about the fear of what other people would think. She wasn't concerned about how much the ointment cost. She wasn't concerned about the embarrassment of kissing his feet and doing all the stuff. She didn't care. She didn't allow any of these things to define her future. Isn't that awesome? Little thing. Wasn't a David and Goliath story, but to her, it was a salvation of her and her family. Amen? Turn with me over to uh, Luke chapter 19. This one y'all like to. I want to go over a few of these so that we can get the idea wholly what I'm, I'm getting at. It says, And Jesus entered in and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was chief among the publicans, and he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not the press because he was of little statue. And so he ran before and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was passed that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and he saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down. For today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be the guest with a man that's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord. The half of my goods I give to the poor. If I have taken anything from any man by false accusations, which he most likely did, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. That day, Zacchaeus made a move. 
It was a defining moment. He was small in stature. He says, I don't care what people think. I'm climbing that tree. I want to see this man. I want to do it. Other people were there. It was in the way. He could, he could have just said, well, you know what? I don't need anybody. I got plenty of money. I'll just go home. I don't care about this. He didn't. I'm climbing a tree. And went out of his way. And in going out of his way, guess what happened? It was a defining moment in his life. No longer did money have a hold on him. He took half of his wealth and went and gave it to the poor. I believe there was a change in that man's life. Something took place, a defining moment in Zacchaeus' life where he would give half of his income, half of his wealth to the poor, and then to go back and look and say, okay, I know I've ripped some people off, but I'm going to take it back to them and four times that much, or 80-fold, uh, four-fold, which would be 80, 80% more, I'm going to give to them. And what did the Lord say? Zacchaeus, this day of salvation come to your home, to his house. Not just to him, but to his house. For as much as he is also the son of Abraham. He said, you know what? That's a small thing that we read through and talk about little, little, little Zacchaeus, cute little story. Little kids do a play around school time about Zacchaeus being so short and all that. This was a defining moment in Zacchaeus' life, right? Let's look at one more defining moment while we're in Luke. I chose all these to be in Luke so you wouldn't have to try to figure out where we are. Luke 18. So we can just back up a little bit. And let's look at verse 18. It says, And a certain ruler asked him, saying, Good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said unto him, Why callest thou me good? None is good, save one, that is God. Thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness. Honor thy father and thy mother. And he said, and he said all these things I have kept from my youth up. Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all thou hast, distribute to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, come and follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful for he was very rich. And when Jesus saw that he was very sorrowful, he said, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. I want you to notice that the rich young ruler saw this defining moment in his life is more than he wanted to handle. He recognized Jesus as a master, as a rabbi, uh, a, a man full of wisdom. But yet, he hadn't spent enough time with him to come to a place where he'd forsake everything and follow him. This was a defining moment in this man's life. He chose not to go that way. He was a good man. You, you hear what he said? He's, he's done all these things, but he wanted to know, what's it take to have eternal life? I, I believe the Lord was going to look and say, you know what, you can just... Do all of this, and you just come be one of my disciples. You be one of the twelve. But he missed out on that defining moment because he was wealthy. He was wealthy. There's nothing wrong with wealth. I'm teaching the class on it, and, and, and uh, so, so please come if you're coming to that. And be on time. Thank you. Just thought I'd throw that in. But as... But small as these, some of these may seem, they're not really small. It's life-defining for people and for their households. 
They were the legacy of these people. What Zacchaeus did was his legacy. What this rich young ruler did was his legacy. He didn't go. The woman that at the well, the, the, the Samaritan woman at the well, that was her legacy. The woman that anointed his feet, was, that was her legacy. And we see these are defining moments where, where they cross roads with, with the Son of God and it defined who they were. And there's one more I want us to look at today and we're going to talk a little bit about. And that's found in Esther, in the book of Esther. Now, in the book of Esther, there's a story, it's, quite a, it's only 10 chapters long, but we're not going to take time to read 10 chapters, so I'm going to paraphrase quite a bit of it. And in the story, you would find that if you go back and read it, it won't take long if you do that as a family thing or an individual thing in your, your prayer time, just go back and read it. You'll see that, that the children of Israel were taken over into Persia, and they were enslaved there. And as while they were there, the king decided to throw a big banquet. The banquet lasted 180 days. And during that, that's, that's a long banquet, six months. And the last week of that banquet, they had quite a bit to drink. And it was all the men was in there, and they were all drinking. And uh, the king had, had a little bit more to drink than he maybe should have. And he asked for Esther, not Esther, but Vasti, his wife, the queen, to come before him in front of all of his drunken friends. And uh, she said, no, I'm not doing it. And there's silence across the whole room there. Here it is. We have 127 nations, basically, or provinces represented there in his kingdom. And they was got all these people were there. And the king says, Vastai, come be here in front of me. I want to show you off. And she says, I'm not doing it. Now, like I said, there was dead silence there. And one of them said, King, you, 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 you can't let this go without doing something about it. He said, do you realize what will happen when all the other women throughout the whole kingdom, through all the province, finds out that the queen told the king he, she's not doing it? He says, none of us, none of our wives will ever do what we say again. you got to do something, king. And he realized, you know what? I've got to do something. So he banished her from coming in his presence. And it kind of bothered him a little bit, but he knew he had to do it. And so they said, you know what, here's another good idea. What you need to do is just go and get your new queen. So he decided, okay, that's what we'll do. Set out a decree throughout the whole land for all the young ladies to come, the young virgins to come, and he would find him a new wife. So over the course of years, because it took a while to get all these women to come through there, there was this one young lady whose name was Esther. Now Esther was a Jew, and Esther's mom and dad had passed away. So it's when she was a little child, somewhere it doesn't say how mom and dad died, but she died, that they passed away, and her uncle Mordecai raised her. So Mordecai took her in his home, raised her up, and now she is there as one of these young ladies. And guess what? She's being taken now, not just from her mom and dad, that, that was there, but now she's being taken from Mordecai and his family who raised her and is now taken to the palace. She gets to the palace, and guess what happens? She's there for a while. She cannot go back out there and talk to Mordecai. She can't go back and reveal to anybody. Matter of fact, that she's even a Jew. She's having to keep all this quiet. She's found favor, though, and ends up becoming the queen. He chooses her over all the others. And she says, here it is. 
She is now the queen. And while she's the queen, she finds out a few things. Number one, one of the things that took place was that there was a coup attempt against the king. And just so happened that Mordecai found out about it, her uncle. And so Uncle Mordecai told them what was taking place. And so yeah, they ended up going and taking these two that was in charge of this coup against the king and brought them in and killed them, okay? They put a new guy in charge named Haman. Now, Haman thought he was all lit in a bag of chips, and so, you know, he was doing his own thing, and he would go out there, and everybody would be bowing to him and all this, and Mordecai would be like this. I'm not bowing to you. And he refused. Ruined this guy. It ruined Haman's day. He couldn't get over the fact that here is one guy in the whole kingdom that won't bow to him. And if you read the story, you'll see that he just get all been out of shape all the time over this one fella, Mordecai. Well, he ended up, because Mordecai wouldn't bow to him, went to the king and said, Now, king, you know, there are people here in our kingdom, here in these 127 provinces, that, that don't believe and don't get along with all of us. He says, you know, I think that what we should do is to have a day that we annihilate all those people. Just do away with them. King says, well, go ahead and do what you're going to do. So he wrote a law that said this, basically, that on such and such a day, all the people of the kingdom, the 127 promises, have the right to find the Jews, a family of Jewish people, and kill all of them and take all of their possessions for your troubles. They can't defend themselves. They have nothing to defend themselves. So you just go over there, find you a Jewish family or two or three of them, and just kill them all and take everything, and it's yours for the trouble. Well, this day was set. Not only was it set, they had to post it in all the provinces. So in 127 provinces, guess what? There was signs put up talking about on such and such day, this decree by the king was going to happen. Now, the king didn't really understand all what was taking place. He had trusted Haman. Well, guess what? Didn't work out too well. Mordecai found out about it because he had a copy of it. I guess he went out there and took it off the wall. And he had sent word to Esther, his, his niece, what was taking place. Why? Because he couldn't see her, couldn't talk to her. So the word came. She got in there and she says, well, what am I going to do? I mean, what do, what do you expect? So... Saying all that, let's just go ahead and turn to Esther chapter 4. We'll pick up with that. Esther chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Mordecai is outside in sackcloth and ashes at the gate. It says, When Mordecai perceived all that was done, Mordecai rent his clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes and went out into the midst of the city and cried with a loud voice a bitter cry and came even before the king's gate, uh, for none might enter into the king's gate clothed with sackcloth. And in every province, whithersoever the king's commandment and his decree came, there was great mourning among the Jews, and fasting and weeping and wailing, and many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's maids and her chamberlains came and told her, then, she was, uh, then was the queen exceedingly grieved, and she, rent, and she sent raiment to clothe Mordecai and to take away his sackcloth from him. But he didn't take it. He says, I'm not doing it. Then called Esther uh, for Hatchoth, or ha Hatchet, I mean, no, let's see how it's, it's actually pronounced, Hothark, 
We'll just call him Hatch. Uh, for the one of the king's chamberlains, uh, whom he had appointed to attend unto her, and gave him a commandment to Mordecai to know what it was, and why were you doing this? So Hatch went forth to Mordecai into the street of the city, which was before the king's gate. Mordecai told him of all that was happening to him and of the sum of the money that Haman had promised to pay to the king's treasure for the Jews to destroy them. And he gave, and he gave him the copy of the writing of the decree that was given at Shushan to destroy them, to show it to Esther and to declare it unto her and to charge her that she should go unto the king to make supplication unto him, and to make requests before her people. So here it is. We got Hatch came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. And Esther sent, uh, spake to Hatch and, and, uh, and gave him a commandment unto Mordecai. They're having to do this back and forth because they can't even talk to one another. So he's sending them back and forth with these words. And he says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's province do know that whosoever, whether man or woman, shall go into the king, into his inner court, who is not called, there's a law uh, of his to put him to death, except such the king shall hold out his golden scepter that he may live. But I haven't been called to come into the king for 30 days. I hadn't even seen the king for 30 days. He's sending us back to Mordecai and let him know I know what you're saying. You want me to go in there and stand in behalf, but I hadn't even seen the king. And If I go in there, they'll kill him. They may kill me. And Mordecai sent word back. He says, Then Mordecai commanded to Esther, to answer Esther, Think not thyself, that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall there be uh, there shall enlarge or relief and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. He's saying, God's going to use somebody. We're going to be delivered. It's going to happen. We're going to be delivered. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Here it is, a defining moment in Esther's life. All that she's gone through, everything that, that uh, she had suffered and uh, losing her, her mom and dad at an early age and being raised, now being separated from Mordecai, now she's the queen. She probably had no clue the reason that all this took place. Probably questioned quite a bit, why am I having to do this? Why am I going through this? Why is this taking place? And all of a sudden, guess what happens? She is prompted by her uncle Mordecai, maybe, maybe for such a time as this, you're here. Saints, there's a lesson here for all of us. How many of you know that you can make a difference in the way people see things, in people's lives? You can make a difference in your family. You can make a difference in your church. You can make a difference in your workplace. You can make a difference in your city. You can make a difference in this world. You can make a difference. There's deliverance in your hands if you'll yield yourself to God. What people need is the spirit and the power of God. And he dwells in you 
his vessel. But if we get into a place where we're so consumed with all the things that are going on in this world, or the fears of the will be killed, and this will happen, and that will happen, or I'll lose everything, then we'll also miss our defining moments. The real reason that we've ever been called to live. Esther needed encouragement. She needed a confirmation in her spirit. She needed that nudge from her uncle, Mordecai, and the Holy Spirit. How many of you know sometimes we all need a little nudge? Huh? Yeah. Sometimes you need a nudge from your pastor, but what's more important is the nudge of the Holy Ghost. You can make a difference, but not until you face your defining moment. You can make a difference, but it's not until you face it. You look it square in the eye that things will change. Like I said, I don't really think that Esther knew her defining moment. She didn't really understand why she'd been called, but once she heard, it could be you've been set up as queen for such a time as this. I like that. And you know what? She went on to say, I'm going to do this. I want y'all to go and y'all... Y'all fast and pray and everything, and I'm going to do the same thing over here, and I will go before the king, and if I perish, so be it, I perish. But it's not going to be because I didn't face this defining moment in my life. And so guess what? She went in, and uh, the story goes on, and I'm not even going to finish the story with you. I think that it'd be a good thing for you just to finish up reading on your own. Uh, but it worked out good. It worked out real good. That was just the beginning of a defining moment, and she had other defining moments as well as queen. And for time's sake, we're going to stick over here with uh, these defining moments and how it affects us. She might have just thought, you know, I, I don't understand what's all going on, but God must love me. He made me queen. Could be that since I lost everything, mom and dad and all this, that he just felt sorry for me and he just gave me this major breakthrough. But the truth is, no. It was for such a time as this for the whole nation, for the whole uh, Jewish people, God had called her. See, God never does anything without a purpose. God does everything with a purpose, which means that every single one of us here has a purpose as well. And every one of our purposes in life doesn't just affect your life, it affects the other people's lives that you come in contact with. I'll say that again. That God's purpose for your life is not just for you. God's purpose in your life and your defining moments, what he's called you to do and what you do, doesn't just affect you and your family. It affects everybody that you come in contact with. It talks to all of them as well. Like I said, your defining moment, your legacy, who you are, your character, everything about you, they see it. And it speaks to them as well. You see, God has a plan and a purpose for each one of our lives, and we need to grab a hold of that. But let's just look at that just for a moment. You're not here by accident. Now, I met a fellow right over here in the back over here, and he told me this morning, I forgot your name already. I'm sorry, what is it? Dan? Dan. Dan's from New Jersey. But here he is now. He's in Millbrook, Alabama. He's stationed out at the base out here. And, uh, but he's not from around here. 
but he lives, he's here in Millbrook now. Yeah. Marsha was born in St. Louis, but she's in Millbrook now. And God only knows where Bud's from. <laughs> but Bud's in Millbrook now. And I know Randy, she's an old Miss fan, so I just take it she's from Mississippi. And if not, she's from Mississippi in her heart. If, she, if you asked her to define herself, she'd say, I'm an old Miss fan. Okay, so we'll just go with that. But there's probably a lot of us here, Bob from New York, is that correct? But yet he's in Millbrook, Alabama. How many other people are in this room that, that was not born in Millbrook? Anybody? Hands up everywhere. But yet you're here in Millbrook, and you know why? For such a time as this. You're here for such a time as this. You're here in the midst of all that we've been going through in this whole world. Pandemics, uh, economic mess, inflation, all the different things. You're here for such a time as this. You're not here because you can't be somewhere else. You're here because God orchestrated for you to be here. And not only just as he moved Esther into being queen, you are where you are, not by your doings, but God has moved you to get to where you are. And, every, and the defining moments took place, and now here you are. And see, God's saying, I didn't just move you here for yourself. I moved you here for life ministry. Now let me explain life ministry. Life ministry is everyday life. It's what you do every day. And what we have to, to watch out, because we're all here with one purpose and one task, and like I said, it is for life ministry, everyday life. We're all created with that purpose. And that is life ministry. Whatever your task is, whatever your reason, a direction, a job, all of that will come down to one thing, and that is if you do it, you will be successful. If you don't, you will perish. That opportunity will perish. It'll be gone. It will not happen. All because you forfeited the opportunity. It wasn't because you weren't set up. It wasn't because you were out of position. You weren't there. No, you chose not to. And as I said before, most of the time, the way that the Satan will get you to forfeit your defining moment, your chance, this, this area of your life to make a difference for such a time as this is to distract you from even recognizing the defining moment. He'll get you all hung up on your, the truck battery not working or the broken nail or having to stand at Starbucks for 10 minutes to get a coffee. Just ruins your day. Any day people aren't shooting at you is a good day. So here we have God speaks to Moses. And he says, And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. This is why we're here is to declare the name of the Lord throughout all the earth and what he has done 
and to reveal his character through your life. That's our purpose. And we all have that same purpose. We may do it from different ways, different jobs or whatever. Turn over to John's Gospel, chapter 9. Let's look at one more example. John, chapter 9. Starting in verse 1. It says here, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. He's saying, he didn't sin. He was, he, he wasn't even, how can he sin before he was born? He said his parents didn't sin. Satan is a thief. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. He is the author of sickness and disease. Satan caused this to happen. He says, but you know what? I'm going to turn it all around. I've come to manifest God's character, his love in this man's life. This was a defining moment in this man's life. And I say it's a defining moment in his life because things happened just then. He healed that man. No longer was this man, this blind man, defined as a beggar. That man no longer walked around and said, Help me, I can't see, begging for money, begging, begging, begging. He says, no longer will you be defined as a blind man. You'll be defined as the one who was blind, but now you see. You wouldn't have been able to keep that man shut up for nothing. He would have told everybody he came in contact with, I was once blind, but now I see. I didn't even realize you had curly hair, you know, or no hair at all, or whatever it would be. You know, he just, can you imagine? It defined his moment. He told everybody. Why? It was a defining moment in his life. He came to a crossroads with Jesus and went with Jesus. And guess what? Changed his life. This man most likely had no clue who he was really talking to until it all happened. But no longer was he a beggar. Now he worked. He was busy doing the father's business, telling everybody that once he was blind, but now he sees. How many other times does this happen in the scriptures? You know, even Jesus told everybody his purpose. Matthew 18, he says, For the Son of Man come, has come to save the lost. I've come for a reason. I've come to save the lost. He even went as far as in chapter 20 to say, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom, for many. I didn't just come to serve. I come to lay my life down so that you could have life. Wow. He didn't just show up. He came with a purpose himself. You know, and his purpose, his defining moment was not just the cross, but the empty grave as well. Huh? It wasn't just the cross, but the empty grave. How many of you know it would do well for the world out there to see not only that we have died of the old man, but the life that we have is the new man. Huh? We're not defining ourselves as dead, but alive in him. We're not stuck in a, in a grave somewhere, in some tomb. No, we're walking and living and shouting the victory of what God has done in our lives. See, each one of us has a time and a chance, that, that life-defining moment that we have to look at and grab a hold of 
every single day. Every day. Not just once in a while, but every day. We have a chance now. We've we got cards out here on the chairs that says what? It says, here, give this to somebody and say, listen, be my guest. Why don't you come be our guest at family day? We're going to have a big dinner. Come and be our guest. That's a life-changing moment for somebody if, that, that, that doesn't know anything about God if you invited them. This morning, I'm asking you to uh, have the kingdom come to your house, to this place in life. If you come to this place in life, to, uh, to the church for such a time as this, and I believe the answer is yes. And so I want to ask you, what is the defining moment in you being here? You have to ask ourselves that. Why am I here? Am I not here to follow the kingdom? Am I not here to bring an awareness of the presence of God in people's lives and into my own life? Sure it is. We cannot allow ourselves to become distracted. As politics, inflation, crime, have all these things stolen our defining moments? As family crisis, sporting events, our employment, people being ugly to you, has it caused you to miss for such a time as this, moments in your life? If we're distracted, our moment may pass by in the routine of life, just the routine everyday life. And that routine everyday life is your life experience, your everyday life. It's your ministry. It's who you are. We can't allow these things to just walk by us and pass us by. How many of you know everyday life is important? Everyday life is important. Not just the big defining David and Goliath moments, but everyday, everyday life. In Luke chapter 21, verse 3, Jesus was standing there. He's talking about the widow woman there at the treasury on Passion Week. There it is. He's standing there, and he's watching the people as they cast their offerings into the treasury. She comes up, and she drops hers in, and he looks to the disciples standing, and he says, In truth, I say to you that this poor widow woman has cast in more than all the rest of the people here. This woman has put more money in than anybody else here because she's given her all. The widow woman gave two small coins. That's just what she did. She wasn't prompted to do that. She did nothing different. But the, the master took notice of what she did. And he called it faithfulness and he called it action. And it gave him one of the most powerful messages on giving that there is. Now, what if she'd stayed home that day? What if she just said, you know what, I, I just don't want to go today. It's, it's, it's hot outside. Or it's raining outside. And I don't want to get my shoes dirty. Or it might rain outside. It's already hot. It might rain, so I'm not going now either. I just don't have anything to wear. I broke a nail. You know? And so she decided she just ain't going. We wouldn't have this story about what Jesus said, would we? Mm. 
You see, the widow woman didn't do anything out of the ordinary. She just did what she does, who she was. And she wasn't trying to impress anybody in doing it. She didn't go up there and say, I want everybody to know this is the last two mites that I have, and I'm putting them in the treasury. No, she probably went up there and took a napkin, and she unfolded that little napkin in her hand and, and took them and dropped them in, hoping nobody would notice that it was such a small offering. And she just went on her way. She may have not even found out what, how important it was and how God saw it until she got to heaven and then found out how that was a defining moment in her life. I personally believe that Jesus wasn't about to let her go home broke. He's like, mm-mm, this is a defining moment in that woman's life. We're fixing to define some things. Never again will she have to do without. Every single one of us has a life routine. But more importantly, we have a life ministry. That's where we need to really zero in and realize that every day, every day is life ministry. Nothing will make you happier. Nothing will make you happier in life than fulfilling your purpose in life. And our purpose in life is to reveal the God that's within us. That's what our purpose is. You're never going to be happy or fulfilled unless that's what you're doing. God never does anything that he doesn't bless you and others in your everyday life ministry. He's going to bless you. In John 6, 9, we find a story about Jesus feeding the multitudes. He gets out there and there's 5,000 men plus women and children all out there, and they're all hungry, and they're coming to Jesus. Said, send them home, Jesus. We ain't got any food. They've been out here for three days. There's no food. There's not a, 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 a barbecue place in sight. This is where y'all supposed to say they didn't eat pork. But we're in the south, and, you know, we had bacon. Okay, they didn't have a church's chicken. How about that? Would that be better? They didn't have a church's chicken, and the disciples said, send them home. And Jesus says, won't y'all go out there and amongst all these people here, this multitude, and find out what they got? And so they go out there, and they start looking around. And they start looking and asking people, like, Is it, what do y'all got to eat? What do we got to do? You know, we got 5,000 men plus women and kids. Andrew's out there, and he comes across a guy. One of the disciples comes across a little boy who had a Spider-Man lunchbox with five loaves of bread and two fishes. And the little boy was willing to give it. What if Andrew had stayed home? If he just said, you know, I just don't feel like going today. I've been listening to him for two days straight out there. It's been good, but today I'm staying home. One of the other disciples might have just walked right on past the little boy with the Spider-Man lunchbox. What if the little boy with the Spider-Man lunchbox decided he ain't going? Mama said, don't forget your lunchbox. And he just said, no, I don't need it. But he didn't. This was defining moments in that little boy's life when he knew that Jesus took those five loaves of bread and those two fishes that he had, and he fed 5,000 men plus women and children and had 12 basket loads left over. His Spider-Man lunchbox couldn't contain what was left over. I believe it probably changed his life. Yeah. 
Think about it. Defining moments. What if David, when his daddy Jesse says, David, I want you to take this cheese. I want you to tote it up there to the front lines and give it to the, the captains and all those up in charge up there and go check on your brothers to see how the battle's going. David gets up there and does what? What if David would have said, Dad, I, I don't want to go today. I've been out there with them stinking sheep all week. Can I just not go? No, David jumped right up, grabbed the cheese, toted it up there, gave it to him. And while he was there, his own family started chewing him out. So you're just looking for a reason to get out of work and just go do your own thing. And what did he say? He says, I heard what you said, but I didn't leave daddy's sheep like that. Now, what is it again that the man will get that does this? I'm not going to be distracted even by my own family members. What, is, what will happen? His defining moment was at hand. David's defining moment was at hand. It was like, I'm going to take that giant. I'm going to take his head off today. All because, and it set him up for the, the kingdom. All because he didn't say, I'm just going to sit this one out, Dad. Send, one, send somebody else. No, it defined his moment for life. He went up there and he slew the giant, as you know. And armies of Israel rallied and went and had a great victory, wiping out the Philistines and chased them off. There have been millions of lives not touched and ministries not started, all because somebody missed their moment. Missed their moment for such a time as this. Maybe because somebody just stayed home. I want you to understand that every day counts. Every moment counts. We count. I don't feel good. Well, get up. You'll probably feel better. That's the way it was when I grew up. My parents, my dad, excuses didn't work. One of the defining moments in my life. You know what? I was in Billings, Montana, doing a meeting up there. And the guy that was picking us up, driving us around, we were out there. And, and uh, he was asking me about my family and all, and I told him, and he says, so you got a son? He says, yeah. He, he says, oh, okay, how old is he? And I told him. And he says, oh, okay. And I said, yeah. Anyway, I came around and said, yo. He said, well, how did that come about? And I said, well, uh, me and my wife believed God for a son. And so I told him. I said, I, we, we got together. We saw in God's word that he gave us the desires of our heart. We saw, we knew we wanted to have a son. So we said, Lord, we'd like to have a son. And so we prayed and believed that we would receive right then that son. He said, wow. I said, many people will ask and say, well, what are you going to do if it's a girl? And I said, it's not going to be a girl. It's going to be a son because this is what we pray and believe for. And anyhow, we were going through this. And so when I got through, he was so moved by this. He says, well, would you pray for me? Will you pray for me that we'll have a son? And I said, open my big mouth. I said, well, sure. What would you do? I said, sure. Then he began to tell me how he'd had a vasectomy. And he went and he had it reversed and it didn't work. So some time had gone by and he went and had it another one reversal and it didn't work. And I'm like, what's that got to do with me? I mean, I can't do nothing for him anyway. So it's going to have to be the God to send me. So I just took him right there in front of the hotel, standing out in the main lobby, not hidden some card. He said, well, let's pray. 
I said, now's the time. He said, what? And I said, right here. Okay. So we just prayed right there. A few months later, I get a phone call. She's pregnant. And there's a guy now, 26 years later, running around somewhere in Montana. His name is Alan. They named him after me. What about the woman in Mexico that I couldn't even understand because she spoke Spanish and I don't? And she was there and she was speaking and, and she came up for prayer and I had no clue what she wanted. So I did what any smart preacher would do. I prayed in the spirit until she went wild on me. And she ran and screaming and shouting and crying and all this other kind of stuff. And Andy comes over and says, you know what happened? He called her over and he's talking to her. Uh, she was deaf in her both ears. She couldn't speak. I mean, she couldn't hear at all, but now she can hear in both ears. Wasn't any of me. I didn't even know why she came. But those are those life-defining moments, and not so much as my life-defining in my life, but surely life-defining in her life. Now she can hear. Now he has a son. What life-defining moments could we pass by because we didn't pursue or press in? And this morning, what I wanted to bring across to us is that we can't live our life in the fear of what other people may think or whether or not this will kill us or where that, how much money is it going to cost or where this is going to happen or that. We don't live that way. We live our life knowing that we have a purpose. And it is to reveal the loving Jesus that dwells in our heart. And we do that not just once in a while, but we do this on an everyday basis. Every day, every day is a life-defining moment. The woman with the issue of blood had said, well, what about what the people may think if I reach through and touch the hem of his garment? She'd have left home with a disease and died. She said, no, I'm not going to be concerned about that. You see, we all have an opportunity to quit. And I'm going to tell you something. If you ever start focusing on that opportunity, you will quit. Focus on the defining moment for such a time as this is in your life. Turn to the one next to you so, and say to them, for such a time as this, you were born. You see, you're called for such a time as this. You could have been put any time in history, but you weren't. I would have made a good cowboy. Well, maybe a Doc Holliday anyway. But he didn't want me to be Doc Holliday. He had a Doc Holliday. He wanted an Alan Cova in year 2022. It's like he wanted a Steve Thomas in 2022 and a, and a Dan in 2022. And not in New Jersey, but in Millbrook, Alabama. And he wanted a bud. This bud here is for you. He's not here for himself. He's here for all of us, right? Amen. I think Steve just got that. Question. Let's do it this way. With every head bowed and eye closed, nobody looking around. need to ask yourself, will you be ready for your next defining moment when it comes? For it surely will come. Trust me. 
It will come. Just as other defining moments have come, it will come as well. Will you be looking for it? Or will you be distracted? Some of you are faced right now with that defining moment. A defining moment of deliverance. A defining moments of healing. Defining moments of victory. Defining moment of the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Or maybe the defining moment of even salvation. Don't let it pass you by. Embrace the moment. Embrace the moment. Now, Father, I speak and declare blessings on the people this morning. I call them blessed. I proclaim those blessings upon their life. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week. 